This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us. It's just James and I this time. However, James was lucky enough to go to the My Premier League Morning Fan Fest in Boston on a whim this weekend. James, how was that? It was overall, now looking back on it a day later, a really, really cool experience and a really cool event. If you had asked me at 11 a.m. yesterday, I would have said it was a miserable experience. So, or saw the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, or saw the Twitter. If you're following on Twitter, you could see my anguish unfold in real time. So I, Friday night, my buddy texted me and, and said, are you going to the fan fest tomorrow? And Alex had been, you'd been texting me, telling me about it. And I was thinking about going down and I didn't really know where I would stay or figure that stuff out. And he was like, Hey, I have an Airbnb. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. So I drove down at like nine o'clock, got, got there at like midnight, went straight to bed, woke up at 6am, took the T, the subway across Cross town to the Caskin Flagon, which is right by Fenway Park. It was a cool location. We get in line and there's two lines. And apparently they had this system where if you were affiliated with a supporters group, there was like a special code that you could get that would essentially give you a QR code for VIP access. So we get there at like 730. We're waiting in line. The line's moving real slow. And so me and my buddy go and grab coffee and come back and the line hasn't moved at all. By like 9 a.m., the QR code people start showing up in full force and they're like a separate line. So people were like getting in line and moving past us and getting in while we're just like standing still. And the staff wasn't being, was basically ignoring the other line and like not really communicating with us, which was frustrating. By like 11 a.m., we were at the front of the general admission line. Meanwhile, I'm watching people who were at the back of the other line walk in before me and one of the guys I was with is a Man U fan. So at that point, the Man U game was about to start. So we literally like walked out the front of the general admission line, went to a bar, watched that game, came back and got into the bar for the ever like one fifteen, like right before Everton kickoff. And it was a really, really cool event inside. They had like free merch. They had food. They had like FIFA hub set up for people to play. They had an airbrush station to get like an airbrush logo. Um, all in all, Really cool. And then watching the game with the Boston Evertonians and then the miscellaneous out of town people like me was a really cool experience. A lot of songs and nice to like the West Ham fans were basically standing amongst us, but like opposite us watching the TV. And at the start of the game, they tried to do their little blowing bubble song and like singing and then Lame. Kurt Zuma's resounding header uh, in the fourth minute kind of shut them up. And then it just was utter dominance from there. And uh, it was really cool to see the NBC Sports uh, announcing staff, Rebecca Lowe, um, Kyle Martino, those guys. They were like right in front of us. The stage was right in front. And yeah, overall, it was very cool. Met some cool guys. Had a really cool conversation with actually a Newcastle and an Everton fan who were talking about how they used to teach English in England. And one of them said that when Marcus Alonso was like 15, they were like giving him English lessons, which was kind of like random, but cool to like those kinds of connections. Um, And yeah, it was, it was very cool. 
if you have one nearby in your area coming to your town or within a couple hours of you, I highly recommend going. Really unbelievable for me to see the the width or like I saw every single Premier League team, someone wearing like merchandise or, or logos, um, which was kind of surprising for me. Like I saw a lot of Crystal Palace stuff, which is random, but you wouldn't expect saw a lot of like everyone, even Cardiff fans. And I saw a couple Huddersfield people. So salute to those American (laughs) Huddersfield fans. Truly like we think we have it bad as Evertonians. I can't even begin to imagine the depths of despair, especially, you know, the day they get relegated, they show up to the fan fest. Just awful. Kind of, kind of brutal, but yeah, it was really cool to see like thousands of people and all super passionate about the sport. It just shows that even though I think the Premier League fandom in America is still somewhat in its infancy, it's only going to get bigger and it's only going to get more popular. And I think the sky's the limit. And it was it was just really amazing for me being in Maine, where you might meet the one the odd person who's in who's a Premier League fan, but to see like that comprehensive like every every fan base represented was was pretty unbelievable. That's awesome. I'm super jealous. You said that you were able to uh, sing a couple songs with supporters. Uh, you met, you briefly met the mostly soccer podcast guys who we'll be collaborating with in the next week or so, right? Yes, sir. I met the mostly soccer podcast guys. They um, they got on TV. They had a huge sign, so I saw them walking by. It was a pretty cool sign, and they were like, you know, good branding, good advertising, smart on their part to do that. Uh, I I we did have. A few choruses of Grand Old Team. We had the Bernard Will Tear You Apart song. We had the Richarlison song going. It was it was cool. And then at the very end, I did get to meet Leon Osman, shake his hand, and, and grab a quick picture with him as well. So that was like a surreal experience to like meet an Everton player. Uh, of really, and then so that kind of just made my whole day. On top of what would have made my day to begin with, which was the. Everton to West Ham nil result in probably the most comprehensive and dominant performance we've put in this season. What do you think, Alex? A hundred percent. It was, I don't think anyone expected it. I mean, I'm just kind of sitting there like relaxed, you know, it takes a couple minutes, you know, it takes 10 minutes or so for, for you to really get zoned in on the match and kind of the, the way it's, it's shaping out and the flow of the, of the game. But Pretty much immediately, Kurt Zuma just had a header off the Gilfie Sigurdsson corner, straight down, bounced up past the defender's head, and we were kind of flying from there. I mean, I was I was surprised that I thought, you know, we talked about this. I thought that it was going to be, you know, a huge battle for possession, which it was, but I thought that maybe West Ham would edge us a little bit more than they did. And at the end of the day, you know, we usually see our players, or at least in the last couple of years, they come back from international break. And even if we had momentum previously, we show up like we've never met each other before. And, you know, whether that's fatigue, that's just mindset, I don't know. But this time around, they looked like they were there to get three points. And it was awesome to watch. Yeah, right at their throats from the get-go, you know, that Kurt Zuma header, first of all, kind of a weird goal because he heads it straight down and it like floats up and just nestles itself very neatly into the top corner. But that was like our third or fourth chance in the first four minutes. Like we were at their throats right from the off. Really good aggression, really deliberate 
attempts to move the ball forward and players making clever runs and a lot of really nice through balls being played by everyone. Andre Gomez, immense, a superb game. Adrisa Ganagay, I thought, played some really, really nice through balls. And Calvert-Lewin was looking to make those runs in behind, which is something that I think our strikers really haven't done a ton of this year. And it's something Calvert-Lewin has as a strength. But in addition to the runs in behind, he knew when to come short, when to when to hold the ball up, when to get our wide players involved. Can't speak highly enough of Bernard, who deservedly got man of the match. So clever. Finally starting to see, I think, what his his pinnacle is as a player. Yeah, and you know, I saw the uh, the picture of Bernard cheesing real hard with his man of the match um, module. I don't know what else you you would call it, his block. But uh, a lot of the players on social media posting about him or forum or commenting, and quite a few of them talking about how he is their favorite player and that sort of thing. And I think it shows how impressive he is to the team themselves also. But more importantly, he got his first Premier League goal. And that is something that himself, Marco Silva, has talked about. The fact that he just needed it. It's a huge like mental block. And, and I think it's a huge weight off his shoulders moving forward too. Yeah. It, you know, for, from going to not even having a shot on target to finally getting on the score sheet, you could tell how much it meant to him right after celebrating. He seemed, you're you're right, spot on with the weight off the shoulders. I think it's something he'd probably been incredibly frustrated with having not scored, but been dishing out assists, been doing a lot of positive things in wide areas, and it all kind of culminated in in a really, really class performance today. And you see that when Richarlison, you know, the right side for us has been so inconsistent with Theo Walcott this season, and now with Richarlison, it gives us such a nice balance. And there's there were spots in the game where we were able to deliberately attack down the left and then also attack down the right. And it seemed like West Ham were completely disorganized and not able to cope with with the comprehensiveness of our attack, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, so the way I kind of perceived it, right, it seems or it's felt throughout the season that we have favored our left hand side because no matter who's playing there, Richardson or Bernard, they'll tuck in and that gives Luca Dean, you know, full freedom on the flank to get forward. Now, we know that Seamus Coleman is capable and prefers to play the exact same way. However, most of the time, Walcott has been playing on the right-hand side. And Walcott, unlike the other two, stays wide. And when he stays wide, it does not allow Coleman to move forward or play interchanging passes as much. And so with Richarlison playing on the right, he tucks in quite a bit, and it allows Seamus Coleman the freedom to do what he does, which subsequently led to the second goal, Bernard's first Premier League goal. Now, the other thing, though, about the right-hand side, Seamus Coleman pretty much had Marco Arnautovic in his pocket the entire second half until he was subsequently subbed off. I mean, it was was phenomenal to watch. Seamus Coleman, that was his best match, I think, of the season and maybe in the last year, year and a half or so. Yeah, he was great. He was doing everything we've come to expect or you know hope from Seamus Coleman. I'll go on record and say that earlier, not not too long ago, I was saying that I was okay with John Joe Kenny stepping in as our starting right back for the rest of the season. Coleman has redeemed himself and really set set the bar very high again for himself. 
showing that he is still the player that we we had for years. Though the pace and some of his attributes may be starting to decline with his age, he is still a class class player, and he showed that today. And you know, the crossing thing is something that he's come under a lot of stick for his inability to be a consistent crosser. But today, I thought that. You know, obviously the assist to Bernard was very, very good in some after some excellent buildup play as well. So hats off to Seamus Coleman. The other thing that stood out to me was just the resilience and domination of the defense. Like West Ham had three total shots. And I thought Michael Keane and Kurt Zuma, that partnership looks like, you know, just steel. Like they they didn't give West Ham a sniff. Kurt Zuma elevating in the air on top of getting the goal had several brilliant headers, clearances, and Michael Keane looks as calm and and assured as ever and shows why he's starting to be considered for a spot in the England side. Right. Let's not sugarcoat it. We, well, actually, I guess we could sugarcoat it. We dominated every area of the pitch, forward, midfield, and our defensive third of the pitch. And it it was really good to see specifically because we have to keep in mind we were away. We were away from home. We haven't even been consistent at home with our own fans at Goodison Park. And so it was just a really, really important match for us. And if I'm not mistaken, we still have three of the quote unquote big boys to come this season, specifically Arsenal in the next match. So it was a very important result for us. We're one point off seventh place, which I believe is Wolves. However, they do have a game in hand. And, you know, I saw on Reddit a conversation happening, essentially asking, you know, now that we're one point off seventh place, do we think it's possible? Do we want seventh place, you know, assuming City win the League Cup and are able to get into the Europa League? This has been the persistent question all year. And do we want seventh place? I think you're kind of, I think you, you have to want it. You want to see your team finish as high as possible. And Europe, Europa League, while it may not be as glamorous as Champions League, of course, there's still some value in playing European football, assuming that you have the squad depth, which we didn't the last time we were there. And I think that that, and if you don't have the squad depth, it can be a negative because you're kind of just running your players ragged and it it comes at the cost of being detrimental to your performances in the league. Whether we can still achieve it, absolutely we can. It's going to take probably three points against either Arsenal, Man U, or Spurs to do it, as well as taking care of business against the, the lower league sides that we still have to play. But it's it's without question achievable in my eyes especially with the uptick in form. It seems like the ebb and flow of the season has started to, we're, we're starting to come into our own and, and develop some of that chemistry and consistency that's been lacking for the better part of the year. And if we can continue that, if Marco Silva can instill that mentality in the squad where we're looking to attack, drive the ball forward like we were today, um, then, then I think we certainly can achieve it. What do you think, Alex? I think it's achievable. And at the moment, after beating Chelsea at home 2-0, beating West Ham away after an international break, mind you, I think that it's it's really, I mean, it's in their hands, which, I mean, that's pretty easy to say, right? It's always in their hands, but they literally, they can achieve seventh place 
if they want it bad enough. And at the moment, they look confident and and they can do it. But you know, here's what I will say about seventh place and that kind of qualifying Europa League um, position. Because the reason why people say they don't want it, it's not that they're playing. It's not that we would be playing in the Europa League. It's the fact that we would have to start qualifying in July, and so that kind of hampers a lot of your preseason. But here's what I will say. Preseason is very important. Don't get me wrong. And during the season, you essentially have no time. And this is this is what Marco Silva was saying just this last week in, in an interview. You don't have time during the season. There's just the next match, right? And if you have five days between each match, you know, days of recovery and, and that sort of thing, and then a little bit of training, it, it's not it's not some just never-ending amount of time that you can use and and prepare and that sort of thing. Point is, I don't think that three weeks in July qualifying, working on qualifying for the Europa League is going to make or break the team. Because by that logic, if you think it will, then you essentially shouldn't anticipate your squad making or earning seventh place the next season regardless of Europa League, because if your squad can't handle an, uh, you know two or three weeks in the offseason to qualify again to qualify against teams that you know teams that have the budget for their entire squad that we spend on one player on the lower half of our wage budget. You know what I mean? It's just it's if you can achieve it, you need to get it and it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse if you're if you're qualifying in July, you go and you do it. I agree with that, but I do think that it's going to depend heavily on the business that we're able to do in the summer. And Marco Silva has gone on record saying that we want to get our business done early. If we're able to do that and we can sign three or four players by the time the qualifying begins, I think we're in a really good position. But again, if you don't have the depth and you're playing on a Thursday followed by a Sunday or a Monday game, it becomes a question of squad rotation. And do you have two players at each position that you can rotate in? periodically that you feel comfortable playing. And I don't think we have that depth right now. Definitely not in midfield, probably not on the wings. Striker, huge question mark. Even center back is an area. Like the whole squad still needs depth. We have a very good first 11. I think the 11 that started yesterday, we may see Ghana leave in the summer. I don't predict if we can sign. I think Gomez is a priority signing, probably our number one priority signing. But then it becomes supplementing those players with quality players to back them up. And if we can achieve that, then there's no reason we couldn't get into Europa League qualifying and qualify for the for Europa League and also give it a go um, once in the competition itself. Okay, so to wrap things up about the match yesterday, we know Bernard got man of the match. He was a fantastic, or he gave a fantastic performance. But James, who would be your man of the match otherwise and why? I mean, Andre Gomez is the easy pick, but I really thought that Adrisa Ganagay did everything well. And I think he deserves a lot of plaudits for his continued professionalism after he f- his failed move to PSG. I think, and I saw this on Twitter, I can't remember who tweeted it, so sorry for not attributing my sources. But you look at a player like Marko Arnautovic, who was denied a move in January, and he, we know that his history indicates that he's probably a bit of a selfish player. I think Ghana embodies the exact opposite a consummate professional and a team player. And he had nine tackles yesterday. I don't know exactly how many interceptions, but continues to to set the bar high, which as a professional, that's what you need to do. Because if your levels drop, 
then no one's going to want you if you want to if you want to move away. And it's something that similarly, like Adam Lookman came under criticism for, like if you don't get your move, you can't sulk. You have to continue to to play at the level that you were playing at previously, because otherwise you're not going to get another chance at a move. So even if that's his end goal to move away from Everton, as long as he's putting in shifts and playing for the shirt, I'm totally okay with it. So I'm going to go with Ghana as my secondary man of the match, but Bernard would definitely be my top. Yeah. And I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I've said it before on record, but Ghana deserves the PSG move. If we can find a suitable replacement in the summer, I mean, he's going to be 30 years old, I think by the turn of the season. And He's been with us for, I believe, three years now, two or three years. I think it's, yeah, three years. Three. Three. And uh, I mean, he's been literally our most consistent player every single season and that you cannot argue that there's, you know, I I can't, I don't know if he's ever really put in a bad performance, a couple lackluster, sure. But, and and I like the, I like the comparison between Arnautovic and, and Ghana specifically, even if you just looked at him side by side yesterday, in terms of my secondary man of the match i'm gonna have to go unsurprisingly with seamus coleman he was very good on both sides of the of the pitch right defensively and offensively he furnished the assist to little bernie's first premier league goal and all around i think that as the captain he essentially kept the players in the right mindset because you know let's not skip over the fact that we've seen us go into halftime two nil up in the last couple of weeks and not come out with a, with a smile on our faces. So it's, it's important what he does as a captain and in his performance was also really, really good. So he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note of the capitulation, like I was hesitant to feel comfortable with up two nil or up one nil just because of the Newcastle game, the Millwall game, very much still fresh in the mind. And there, you know, the West Ham fans being at the bar, like they were, they were feeling somewhat confident that they'd be able to come back. And I was hesitant to like kind of get cheeky and start talking crap to them because like it could all turn on its head within the last 10 minutes of the game. But kudos to the team. It seems like we've, we've settled down and we're finally able to see out games as a squad. And we we're not letting teams even get like a sniff because if they get a, get a, good shot they get one goal then all of a sudden you're on the back foot and we're just not allowing that we're we're putting our foot down saying look we're up 2-0 we're better than you we're going to dominate and we're going to shut this one out and now it's three wins in the last five and I believe it's four clean sheets so just all all around positives coming up for the blues and and if we can continue this momentum big if because the consistency is obviously our biggest issue then I, I see no reason why we can't get that seventh place. And another statistic, and, and I think I need to go ahead and map this out because I feel like I've been saying it the last couple of recordings, another match without conceding a set piece. Yeah, you, you can't concede from them if you don't concede them in the first place. So that's a huge positive. I think the question is how much of this performance can be down to us being dominant and how much can be done, how much can you attribute to... West Ham just playing poorly. I know they changed their lineup significantly from what Tony predicted on the sh- on the preview show, and it was weird. They were just very exposed at the back. I thought Pablo Zabaleta got torn to shreds, and so you can you can say somewhat that West Ham didn't show their best, but that's still a team that, as Tony said again on our preview show, they haven't lost at home since like December, and so 
we really put the game to them and they didn't have an answer for really anything that we tried to do. So credit to the players, credit to Marco Silva, all around positive performance, a great day for me personally, experiencing my first, watching my first match with like a big group of fellow Everton fans. And I'll, I'll remember this one for a long time. I'm glad you, glad you got to experience it as well, James. And, and luckily it was, it was a good result so that you have fond memories all around for yesterday. Nonetheless, thanks for tuning in. Look out for our Arsenal pre-match coming up in the next couple days. That'll be a big one because in, in recent seasons, Arsenal seemed to be our bogey team. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.